Hey, it's a, a huge honor to be with you guys today. And I just want to start by saying a massive thank you to Pastor John and Ruth and the whole team here who have just been so kind to us as a church. I don't know whether you know this or not, but every Thursday night, our team meet in this room and uh, our like music team meet together and some of the production team train for stuff. And, uh, and you guys have let us use this space for baptisms and all sorts of things. So I just want to say on behalf of our church to all you guys, thank you so much for being so faithful and kind to us. It's meant a lot. Uh, so as uh, John said, I am Dan Belshaw, and I have the privilege of leading a church called Light Church just down the road uh, in Kirkham. I'm married to Holly, and I uh, have just been on holiday, as you can tell from the radiant tan. And um, we were in Mallorca. I was actually doing a wedding there, and someone said to me, oh, perks of the job. I was like, I wish the first ever wedding I've ever done overseas. Uh, but I just, just so... Uh, you just get a little picture of this. The best compliment I ever got when I was over in Mallorca was I was stood on a boat and I was stood beside a bar getting some water and a lady came up to me and said, excuse me, sir, please could I have a glass of water? Assuming I was a Spaniard working on the boat. <laughs> I was like, must have been the tan. And I said in my Lancashire accent, yeah, you can pour your own. Like, yeah, self-service, which is funny. Um, so... We've been, uh, we've been doing some fun stuff as a church over the past couple months, and I know you guys as well. And, uh, God's just moving in this area, and I just want to encourage you guys with what God's doing here, is you guys are really well thought of in the local area. I know that when we chat to you know, various council members or we're in various community circles, you guys are always thought of and spoken very highly of. So I just want you to know that, that God is doing something through you guys and that your heart to meet the local community through forget-me-nots and all the stuff that you're doing, people are watching. So I want to encourage you that what you are doing here, I know sometimes, and it's the same with us, sometimes community work can you know, feel really tiresome and you can feel like, is, is this really doing anything to help? I'm sure it is very drastically doing stuff to help, but people are watching. And they'll begin to ask questions. Why are these people so bothered about loving people? Why are these, these people so bothered about caring for the community? And uh, so you are, you're putting on an amazing show for the community, to call it that. And uh, you're, you're very well spoken of. So I just want to start this morning with a little observation. There's two types of people in the world. Maybe you'll relate and you'll find which camp that you are in. Two different types of people. The first group of people, uh, and if you drive a car, uh, the first group of people will see a petrol light pop up on their dashboard. They'll see the little light saying, you need fuel. And this group of people will say to themselves, my car needs fuel. And they will drive themselves to a petrol station and fill up their car. And then the other group of people where they see the little light on the dashboard and something inside of them says, nah, there's 40 more miles in that. <laughs> nah, and it's, it's usually males as well that say this, nah, 40 more miles in that tank. And interestingly enough, my wife is one of that other group of people. She, 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 it's, like, it's like this competitive spirit rises up in Holly. When she sees this light, she thinks, I I bet you I can get more than this little light is telling me about. And I see this with people's phones as well. There's one group of people where their phone will, will pop up and say low battery. And then they plug their phone in and charge their phone. And then the other group of people see that their phone is low battery and will push it until the very last minute. I cannot tell you how many times Holly's phone has run out of battery. We went to the cinema the other night with tickets on our phone and her phone died. 
I was like, how? How is this possible? Well, one time my car was in the garage and I needed to share Holly's car. And uh, so I needed to go somewhere. I, I'm, I enjoy being on time. I'm one of those people. I enjoy showing up somewhere when I said I was going to show up there. So I jump into Holly's car. I'm in a little bit of a rush. I need to go where I'm going. And I get in and I see that there's a petrol light on. And I say to Holly, you've left the car with no fuel in it. She says, there's loads. There's, there's loads. <laughs> Right? Now, this is the funny thing. I've never let my car get to this point. But it wasn't just the petrol light was on. There was also a little message on the dash flashing saying, please fill up. This is like the bottom of the bottom. And her response was, you'll have enough to get to the petrol station. I kid you not. The drive to the petrol station, I was so nervous. I was there. If I have to break down, I'm writing a sign telling people why I've broken down. It was not my fault. I was so nervous. I was driving down the road just feeling like, oh, am I going to have enough to get there? Anytime the car made a funny noise, I was like, oh, am I going to break down? And I literally, the petrol station's probably three, four minutes from my house. And I was like, this car is not going to make it. I just don't think I have enough to get to where I need to be. And it was funny. And we've, we laughed about this after when I finally got to the petrol station. I can see the funny side of it now. But I wonder when we go about our own lives, whether we feel that very same way where we're going about feeling like, I just don't know if I have enough to get to where I'm, I feel that God has called me to. I don't know if I have enough resource to do what God has called me to. I don't know if actually I am enough to do what God's called me to do. I don't know if you've ever felt like that. In my life, I 100% have felt like that, where I've, I've stood on the edge of something, and I feel like God's calling me in something, or, or God's placed something within me, and I have this feeling like I just don't think I have enough to make it there. I, I don't think I am enough. God, there's people who are way better at this than I am. There's, there's people who have way more experience than I do. You want me to do what? I don't know if you can relate to that feeling. I just don't think... I have enough. Well, I want us to look at John chapter 6, verses 1 to 13 this morning. And this is a really powerful passage. And I believe that this will speak right into where we are as people. When we stand on the edge of those gaps and we feel that feeling like, I just don't think I'm going to have enough. And I believe that we'll see a side of Jesus here that maybe you've seen before. But I'm praying today that you leave this place more full up with who God has made you to be. Because I believe that no matter who you are, no matter what your story is, no matter what your journey to this moment is, God has placed purpose within you. There's a future that He's placed within you. No matter how old or young you are, God wants to do something through your life. But so often we stand there and say, I just don't think that I have enough. So let's look at this. John chapter 6. I'm going to read from uh, verse 1 through to verse 13. So it says this, Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias. And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs that he had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming towards him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat. He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. 
Verse 7 says, Philip answered him, It would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? Verse 10 says, Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. So I love this passage. I'd go as far as saying this is my favorite passage in the Bible. And I want to I speak to you from the tile this morning. It's all I've got. It's all I've got. So a little bit of context just to place this passage. It says in this that the Jewish Passover feast was coming near. In other words, the Jewish Passover feast was when all the different family of the Jews, they would all come together. They would meet in houses. They would all, like, all descend upon Jerusalem. So I want you to imagine like club day around here, you know, where everyone's out on the street. Everyone seems to come out for that moment. I want you to imagine that every street was full. There was just people everywhere. There was relatives. There was all this different mass of people from different places all traveled in to be there. And what happens is they begin to get stirred up because they hear about this guy, Jesus, who is performing miracles and has this strange ability to talk as though he is God. And immediately, because the, the, the Jewish Passover feast hadn't come yet, they had a little bit of time to kill. They were like, well, we want to find out who this guy is. We want to see a little bit of this. If only we could see what this Jesus guy would do, wouldn't that be interesting? So you've got this huge crowd of people, way more than there would ever usually be in Jerusalem at any other time of the year you would uh, see this, this huge crowd of people all just descending, following Jesus wherever he went. And then we see this really interesting dialogue unfold with Jesus and his disciples. It's this huge crowd of people. The, the passage says that there was 5,000 men. Now scholars would argue there were 5,000 men, possibly around 5,000 women, and possibly around 3,000 children. So they estimate between 10 and 15,000 people were there in that very moment. Imagine that, a crowd of 15,000 people just walking over a hill towards you. And they're all descending. And in some of the other Gospels, it said they'd actually been there all day because they were listening to Jesus. So that sets the scene for us. We understand a little bit now what's going on. People all come in who are just staring at Jesus. They're watching him. They want to see what he's going to do. And Jesus, you can almost see him sat on the ground or sat on a rock talking to his disciples and he turns to his disciple Philip. We're going to read it in John 6, 5 to 6. It says, when Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming towards him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? You can almost see the picture where Jesus is sat there and he kind of elbows Philip and says, hey, Philip, how are we going to feed these people? Now, we know the passage says that this was just a test. For he already knew what he was going to do. Just a side note here. When God ever asks you a question, it is not because he doesn't know the answer. It's because he's about to do something in your life. He's about to teach you something. 
So many people, when they feel like God has presented them with a problem or a question, we, we feel like, oh, we need to have the answer. That's never what it's about. When God presents you with a question in your life, my encouragement to you is lean in because he's going to show you something you've never seen before. So, so Philip, you can see he's led his, his teacher, his master, the guy he has given up everything to follow, turns to him with the biggest problem he's ever seen in his life. Where are we going to get enough bread to feed 15,000 people? Can you imagine Philip in that moment? Uh, Jesus, uh, <laughs> interesting question. Um, uh, and what do we see? Now, if we see Philip as a very practical man, you could call him a logician. Where did his mind go? Straight away. He begins to work it out. You can almost hear his brain ticking. Well, how many people here? How much is a day's wage? How much would they be able to eat? All this sort of stuff. And he says in verse 7, Philip answered him, Well, it would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one of them to just have a bite. You can see him working out straight away. It was like, it was like Philip was, was so comfortable in his human calculations more so than he was in the presence of Jesus. He was, he was so locked into his way of thinking, that his, his human mind, and, and Jesus asks him this question, well, well, Jesus, it would take half a year's wages. In other words, I have no money. Do you have any money? Does anyone have any? No. Like, how are we buying food? There's no even shops around here. We're on a mountain. Like, what, what are you saying? He jumped straight to the plans. His instinct was straight to money and supply and logistics. How would we work this out? Jesus, how would we even, like, how would this even work? What if they're gluten-free? <laughs> it's not 2022. I want to encourage you this morning. When God has asked you to do something, when God places something in your life, when you, you want to call it a call, you want to call it a purpose, you want to call it a future, when God has placed something in you and he has called you into something, I want to encourage you with this, that human plans will never satisfy heavenly purposes. Okay? Human plans will never satisfy, will never fulfill heavenly purposes. I believe that God has called you to do something significant in your life. We already heard it here this morning. I think it was Michelle said that God has given you something to do. And I believe that. But how many of us, as soon as we hear that call from God, as soon as we sense that God is asking us to start that charity or to, to go speak to that person or go do what, whatever it might be that he's called you to do, how many of us immediately then start thinking, how are we going to go about doing it? I know in my life, God's asked me to do something immediately. I'm there scheming and planning. and How's this going to work? What about this? And then imagine if this. And, and so often we forget who called us to it in the first place. It says in Proverbs 69, it says, In their hearts human plan their course, but it's the Lord who establishes their steps. Human plans can never satisfy these purposes that God has given us. So I want to encourage you right now, if you feel like God has given you something to do, and you feel like you have been working so tirelessly, and you're just feeling a little bit burnt out trying to make this thing happen, I just want to encourage you to stop for a second. Why? Because these human plans that we put together can never satisfy what God has called us to. It's only in partnership with Him when we are obedient to His leading and obedient to where He takes us. So Philip, he begins to work it out. He goes straight to his supply and demand. Well, Jesus, it would take half a year's wage. You know what interests me about Philip as well? He was a little bit of a pessimist. 
What did he say? Did he say, Jesus, he would take more of half a year's wages to give someone a whole lunch? No, he didn't say this. Jesus, to give someone a half a loaf of bread? No. Where does he go? Jesus, it would take more than half a year's wages, verse 7, for each one to have a bite. To have a bite. How many times when we stand in front of God and he says, I want you to do this, do we then relegate it to its smallest form so it's manageable for us, right? Hey, yeah, yeah, God, I'll, I'll do that thing. And then we, we, we squish it into the little box of human understanding and we make it as small and as, uh, as tactile as it could possibly be so that we can fit it into our expectations. God, uh, th- this isn't even possible if I was to do it in the smallest of ways. And how many times do we place these limits on our lives and place these limits on the things that God has placed within us simply because of our small human thinking? Philip, for each one to have a bite. If I was Jesus in that moment, which I wasn't and which I'm not, I would have been like, have a bite. Like I said, how are we going to find enough bread to feed these people? And you're there worried about each person having a little bite. See, we know when we read the scriptures that our God is a God of abundance. He meets our needs and he goes over and above. Yet in sometimes our pessimism or we'll call it fear or call it insecurity that we stand before God and we relegate the call of God in our life to some strange little manageable thing that would never satisfy anyway. When God is saying, I have a future for you. I have plans and purposes for you in your life. And they are far greater than one little bite of bread. They are far greater than the small thing that you've relegated it to. What area of your life are you maybe squishing your calling or squishing that purpose because of your small human thinking? And I stand here, I'll be the first to say I have done this time and time again. God has called us to do something as a church and my mind immediately jumps to budgets and how does this work together and what about the team for this and whatever. And sometimes God just needs to strip it all back and say, I am the one who called you to this in the first place. And you know what also just astounds me about this moment is that you have Philip who has watched Jesus do things. Okay? You have watched this man do amazing miracles. You have seen him do things that you have not seen anyone else ever do. Only things you could have read about in the scriptures. And this man turns to you and says, where shall we find bread to feed these people? See, the language Jesus used was this like collaborative language. It wasn't, Philip, where are you going to find this? How are you going to sort this out? He says, Hey, Philip, where are we going to find bread? See, when Jesus puts something in you, when he calls you to do something, that call is also accompanied with a promise to do it with you. Okay, the call of God on your life is not like God lining up his children, passing them an envelope, tapping them on the head and saying, go have fun with that calling. In fact, the whole Bible It's the story of God partnering with his people. That's the way that God works. He doesn't need humans, but he chooses to use us. Jesus said, where shall we? And that's exactly what he's saying to you this morning. Whatever it is he's called you to, he is also offering his hand of partnership to do it. 
Okay? He is not just sending you on your way on your own. He is saying, where shall we, how shall we do this thing that I've called you to? How shall we live out this thing that I've placed within you? How shall we create this future that I've called you to? See, Philip forgot who he was talking to. Philip, in this moment of pragmatism or this moment of logistics, this moment of supply and demand, he is there and forgets the one who asked him in the first place. And I want to maybe just take a stab at it this morning that sometimes we lose sight of who is asking us to do these things in our life. It wasn't just anyone who called you to do it. It wasn't just anyone who placed this within you. It was God, the creator of heavens and earth, the one who slung the stars into the sky, who knit together our very DNA, who knows you inside and out. He called you to it. This isn't a human call and this isn't a human purpose, but God, the King of Kings, the Creator, called you to it. And if Philip had that perspective, and in a moment when, when Jesus, the Son of God, turns to you and says, where shall we find bread to feed these people? If only Philip had had this infinite perspective and had realized who it was who was saying this to him, he would have gone, I don't know, but I'm excited to find out. I don't know how this is going to happen, but I cannot wait to see what crazy thing you do. And wouldn't it be different in our lives when we receive the call and we understand the purpose that is placed within us instead of immediately, but God, you don't know, but God, you've never seen, but God, you... God, this seems crazy, but I'm excited to see how you're going to do this in my life. Let's stop limiting God with this small thinking and this finite perspective and ask God to reveal himself to us so that we understand that it is God, the creator of heavens and earth, who loves us more than anything, is the one who is speaking to us. So what happens is we, we see Jesus chatting to Philip. He asks him this question. And uh, obviously Philip's mind just melts. And then you see this really interesting character of Andrew bust in onto the scene. Again, you can almost see it. I love to imagine these moments. And they're all sat around and Philip's losing his mind. And some of the other disciples are like, Philip, this is just typical Philip. Always worrying, always being pessimistic. But again, at the same time, there was 15,000 people walking towards them. Who knows what they would have been feeling. And all of a sudden... Andrew busts into the scene. Hey, guys. Uh, and you could almost hear the awkwardness in Andrew's voice. Hey, guys, there's a kid here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But, I mean, how far will that go among 15,000 people? Okay, you can kind of hear the awkwardness. Because imagine in this moment where word begins to get out that they're needing food and they're looking around and the disciples are kind of like, is anyone packed enough food for 15,000 people? No, didn't think so. You get the picture. Everyone's kind of like, oh, what's going to happen? This is, this is something that I find really interesting. Andrew comes forward. He says, there's a boy here who has five loaves and two fish. In 15,000 people, you're telling me that one kid brought food. Every time I read this story, it fascinates me because you're telling me out of 15,000 people, one kid who probably didn't pack his lunch himself brought food. Or do you think it was that when 
the word got out that, that food was needed, that one naive kid came forward and said, well, I, I have some food. And everybody else in the crowd began to hide their food behind their back. Well, I don't have enough for everyone. I only packed enough for myself. I, I only have enough food for my family and for my people. And, not, and you know, disciples come around, anyone have any food to feed the people? Everyone, no, nothing really that would like meet the requirements of what you're saying. You can imagine Andrew like going through the crowd, anyone, anyone? And then the little kid tugs on his robe. Some artistic license here this morning. <laughs> tugs on his robe. I have my lunch. Some naive kid. You can kind of imagine the adults stood around like, ah, oh, <laughs> cute kid. Cute in it. Ah, oh, yeah, very, very nice. And, and, and Andrew being like, ah, oh, little buddy, I appreciate it. You know, it's so nice of you, but... You know, I, you know, I don't know. And, uh, and you, can, you can see the kid, nah, you can, you can take my lunch. And in this moment where Andrew like busts into this like high pressure situation where Philip's mind is melting and he kind of like, ah, guys, you know, kind of just humoring the kid. Uh, hey, ah, everyone, ah, ah, the kid, this guy's got five loaves and two fish, but I don't think it's not, nah, you know. And then we see what Jesus says. We see what Jesus says. And I love this. All he says is this, have the people sit down. It's almost as though something inside of Jesus responded to the naive faith of this kid. Yeah, it was as though the kid came along. I don't really have much, but you can have it. And Jesus bolts up and says, have everyone sit down. In other words, watch what I'm about to do. It was as though the faith within Jesus responded to the faith within this kid to be like, I'll move on that. Yeah, yeah, I can do something with that. And the disciples are kind of a little bit, what? Have everyone sit down? Imagine everyone sit down, you're about to be fed and, and you look over and you see Jesus with this little kid with a beaming smile on his face. Jesus is using my lunch. And then it says that Jesus begins to break the bread. This mirrors the Last Supper. This is a really important narrative in the whole like messianic picture of Jesus. He begins to break the bread and he prays over it. And he does the same with the fish. He prays over it and gets his disciples to begin to hand it out. And it says, everyone ate as much. This wasn't a bite. Everyone ate as much as they possibly could. Imagine this, it just kept coming and coming. The baskets were overflowing. I don't know how this worked, whether every time they picked up some bread, it, like another one appeared. I don't know the logistics and I don't need to, but all we know is that every single person ate their full. And the kid was stood there and he was stood beside Jesus as the disciples watched in amazement Jesus do this amazing miracle. And provided for all of these people with nothing. With, with the naive, stupid kid that everyone was humoring. Yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll see, kid. I'll, I'll tell Jesus about it. What's interesting to me is this. When did the miracle happen? Because the thing is, when the little boy came forward, what he had was not enough. Okay, we can be honest about this. 15,000 people, five loaves of bread two fish, everyone might get a sniff. They might be able to smell the stuff and that would probably have been enough. 
Okay, it was not enough for the people. But the second the material changed hands, it was instantly more than enough. Okay, the miracle happened when the little boy gave his little stuff into the hands of Jesus. And in that moment, that was the miracle. When a little naive boy thought that what he had could be used by God. And Jesus acted upon his faith. This is what I want to encourage you with this morning. Miracles are not based on the quality of the material given, but on the power of the one it's given to. Miracles are not based on the quality of the thing that you are giving to God, but based solely on the power of the one that you give it to. How many of us in our lives, we stand on the edge of this thing where we believe God is calling us into something. And we're there like, but look at me. I don't think I'm enough. I don't think I have enough. Well, this story, this narrative should stand as a symbol to us to say it is not about what you have, but it is about whose hands that you sit in. And look at Philip sitting in his own hands. It's not enough. He could never put enough logistics together. He could never put enough plans together to meet this impossible need. But the kid who gives his stuff over to Jesus and places it in his hands, immediately has enough. I want to encourage you this morning, whatever it is that God has placed within you, whatever it is he has given you to do, place it in his hands. Because in your hands, it will always look like not enough. But in his hands, for some reason, it is always enough. And I have seen this time and time again in my own life where what I had, I remember when our car broke down and we had no car and I was like, God, I believe that you have called me to this university in Manchester and I was studying theology and it was a really annoying drive every morning. And it was something that I really, I, people had come and confirmed this in my life and I was stood there and I had no car and I was like, we don't have any money to buy a new car. You're going to have to provide. And we had some, a little bit of money in the bank that we'd saved up because we knew this day was coming when our car was going to die. And I cannot tell you enough. When we looked at this money in our account, I was like, this isn't, this isn't enough. In my own earthly estimation, this money is not enough to get us a car. And then someone randomly came up to us and said, I, I'm, just, I'm just sensing that God wants to, to help you out. And if you, if you just give what you've got, We'll sort you out with a new car. And I came away being like, I still gave of what I had. This thing that was not enough still wasn't enough to buy a car. But God came through and blessed us in a way I never could have imagined. I've seen it in my own life. I've seen it in our own church. When we look at some of our teams or our budgets or our resources or whatever. And we look at it and go, God, this seems like a really, really tough call here. You're asking us to do this and we just don't have it. And every single time God has found a way to do what he has called us to do with exactly what we have. So I want to encourage you this morning. You have exactly what you need to do what God has called you to do. That thing is placed within you, that thing that you've been putting off for a long time because you feel like you don't have enough resource or you don't have enough connection or you don't have enough whatever it might be. Hear my voice this morning. You have everything you need to do what God has called you to do right now. Because it is not based on the quality of the material given, but in the power of the one it's given to.
So if you want to do what God has called you to do, ask yourself this morning, whose hands am I placing my future in? Whose hands am I placing my family in? Whose hands am I placing my finances in? If they're in your hands, they will always not be enough. You might scrape by, you might do what you need to do, but when you place those things in the hands of Jesus, things change. So many of you are looking at yourself and looking at what you don't have and simply Jesus is is just saying this. Look at me. Look at me. Imagine if Philip had understood that in the moment. Jesus, hey, I'm Jesus, just look at me. I know this seems impossible, but look at me. See, intimacy with God is going to be the most important part of your life when it comes to doing what he's created you to do. You might be like, I have a dream. I know what God's called me to do. And then we kind of forget about God. We just want to go and do it on our own. The first place we should go, the last place that we should go, and the place we should exist from in between should be intimacy with Jesus. Because it is the only place that we will be who God has made us to be. I love that picture of the kid and I want to be that kid. I want to be that kid in my own life where I look at the things that other people might say, how are you going to, how, how's that going to? And I'm like, I know this doesn't look like much, but when it's given into the hands of God, watch what happens. I don't want to be a Philip in my life where I immediately go to my own calculations. I want to be this little kid. I want to be the naive kid who comes to Jesus and say, Hey, Jesus, I know it's not much, but it's all I've got. And it's yours if you will do something with it. That's who I want to be in my life. And I want to encourage you to have everything you need to do what God has called you to do. And finally, there's one last part of this that I thought was really interesting. I always, when the Bible gives details about things, I always ask the question, why did they say that? Why did the writer include this? The kid came forward with five barley loaves and two fish. Side note, very strange lunch. Okay? Very, very dry lunch. The kid comes forward, five barley. I was like, barley, what, what is significant about barley? Why barley loaves? Why did he include that? Did a little bit of looking into the barley situation here. The barley was a third the price of wheat. Now, barley loaves is what farmers would feed donkeys. Okay, it was the, the, the lowest form of what you could call bread. It was the lowest of the low. It was called food for peasants or food of the poor. If people had any form of money, they would not even touch barley. It's what they fed their animals. And this little kid comes forward, not just with little quantity, but also people looking at him. The kid's got barley loaves. The kid has barley loaves. You know, he comes forward with what other people would judge and look down upon as the lowest of the low. And maybe in your own life, you can relate to that feeling. You're looking at yourself feeling like, yeah, I kind of feel like that barley loaf myself. I, I, I kind of feel like there's people who are way better at this stuff than me. There's people who are way higher quality than me. There's people who, who are way well more known than I am. There's people that can do way better stuff than me. I just feel like, bottom of the pile how can God really use me and I believe that Jesus used this kid as he comes forward the kid I can use my lunch I believe that Jesus used this kid to show people something that he will use whatever is given to him 
No matter how ridiculous it looks, no matter how low it looks, no matter how lacking in quality or connection or the, all the fluff that comes with what the world thinks is important, Jesus will use what is given to him. So if you feel like that this morning, you're just feeling a little bit like, how could God really use me? There's people far more talented, far better looking, far better connected than me. Jesus will use what is given to him. And my question to you this morning is, have you given yourself over to him? Have you placed your life and your future and your calling in his hands? I want to invite the team up and I'm coming in to close here. In Ephesians 3.20, it says this, and I kind of want to end with this and leave this in your mind as we have walked through this narrative this morning. Ephesians 3.20 says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. You know what's interesting about this passage? about this, this verse in Ephesians. It does not say, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine or dream or can think of according to our ability or according to what it is we have in the bank or according to how many followers we have on social media or according to how high we have climbed on the career ladder or how many good things that we have done in our life. That's not what it says. It says that he who is able to do immeasurably more, over and above, abundantly more than we could ever even imagine. Now that's an infinite perspective in itself. According to what? According to his power at work within us. If you want to be the person that God has made you to be, you want to live out the purposes placed within you, it is not according to anything other than the power of Jesus at work in your life. I said this passage is important. This, uh, this narrative in John is important for this messianic picture demonstrating that Jesus was the Son of God. He was the Messiah. It was really important because scholars will often use this passage as a huge mirror for what Jesus' ultimate purpose was, which was on the cross. So we see that after this, this experience happens where everyone eats their full, Jesus then says this interesting thing to his disciples. He says, when they had all had enough to eat, his, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they go and they collect up 12 baskets. And in the Bible, bread is often a symbol of the body of Jesus. Now, as a church, you will take communion. And when you take communion, the bread is to represent the body of Jesus shed for you. And this passage is really interesting because it is a huge visual marker. It's like a, a huge arrow that points to the purpose and person of Jesus. Now, if this bread is to loosely represent the sacrifice of Jesus, Jesus says, let nothing be wasted. And when everyone had had their full, there was still more left over. There was still more to be collected. Let me encourage you with this. God loves you with an infinite love, so much so that he sent himself in the person of Jesus to live a human life, to hang on a cross, to take on your sin and all of the ways that you fall short, your guilt and your shame. And he left it in a tomb after three days and rose again to give you a hope and a future. 
And when we read this passage and we see that everyone had their fill, I want to encourage you with this. The, the sacrifice of Jesus gives you everything you need. It is all you will ever need. There is nothing else that you need to add to the sacrifice of Jesus to give you salvation. And every single day when you screw up, I want you to imagine the picture of baskets and baskets of this sacrifice left over. It says in his word that his mercies are new every morning. There is nothing you can do to remove you from the love of God. There will always be grace available. There will always be an abundance of mercy available. And this picture stands as a huge symbol for the, especially at the time, the Jewish people, to see this, these baskets of bread. And as Jesus is hanging on the cross and he says, it is finished. We have the opportunity to have our fill right here in this moment. So I want to invite you this morning, every head bowed and eyes closed. I just want to pray for two groups of people. Maybe you're here this morning and you've been a Christian in the past and you've You've known the freedom of Jesus, but you've maybe fallen away or you're here for the first time and you feel like, I want to know this God who redeemed me. Then I want to give you an opportunity to respond. And, and for a second group of people, maybe you're here this morning and you just feel like what you have isn't enough and you've been playing it small and you've not been living the life that you know God has called you to live. And today is a day, just like that kid, you're going to say, Jesus, it's all I've got, but it's yours. So either of those groups, I'm going to ask you to respond in a second. And then I want to pray over this church with that same prayer. That whatever it is you have, if you give it to him, he will use it in ways that are beyond how you could even imagine. So either of those of you, you want to respond to the, the gospel, respond to the message and person of Jesus this morning. Or that second group of people, you just want to say, it's all I've got, Jesus, but it's yours. After three, I want to encourage you to raise your hand. And I'm just going to pray for you. One, two, three. Amazing. You can put your hand down. Incredible. Father God, I want to thank you for your church. I want to thank you that your presence is here and so tangible this morning. God, I want to pray for that first group of people, maybe those who have lost sight of you in their life and or maybe for the first time are stepping into that relationship with you. Holy Spirit, would you just reveal the nature of God to them this morning? Holy Spirit, would you just speak to them in a profound way that would shift them from who they were to who you're calling them to be? And God, I want to lift up everyone in this room this morning that responded to say, it is all I've got, but it's yours. God, I pray right now that you would remind them that it is you calling them to it. God, I pray that those feelings of insecurity and doubt would fade away as they hear your voice, as they stand in close proximity to you in an intimate relationship with you. God, I pray that you would do mighty things through these people as they give themselves over to your hands today. We declare that you are a miracle working God. We believe that you can do it. You did it then, and I believe that you'll do it now. And God, we just speak over Hope Church this morning. 
God, I pray that you would use this church in a mighty way, that you begin to stir up these people to carry your message and your hope and your grace everywhere they go. And God, I pray for this church that as they give over to you what they have, their resources, their finance, this building, this amazing congregation, their leaders, their teams, as they continue to place it in your hands, God, would you multiply it? Would you move through this church like never before? May we see your kingdom come in a new way in this church. We thank you for all that they're doing as they chase down your heart and live them. God, would you use them to bring about a move of your kingdom in this area? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.